1: Hey, good morning, fellas! Welcome to Man Challenge.
0: You're back. How you guys doing, man? Rough crowd, all right. But you're here. You're here. Y'all look pretty. Hey, welcome to Man Challenge. Uh, if this is your first time, or you don't even know what time this is, I've got a couple things for you. Um, one is at your table, whatever table you're at. There's a there's a barcode or QR code, whatever those things are called, if you could do us a favor, everybody could take a quick picture of that and then follow the directions, it literally will take you I think like 30 seconds if that, that really helps our our team, Uh, it helps our church to know and um, so thank you in advance for that, see the pictures flying like crazy, secondly, uh, whether you're a participant, came and checked this out, or a table leader, we have what's called a study guide for you guys. It's a man challenge guide. It's for the whole semester. It's important you pick one of these up because one, it kind of lets you know what we're focusing on from week to week. Also, our schedule, when we're meeting, when we're not meeting. I think there's only one time between now and the end of the semester we're not meeting over spring break a week, uh, but this is really helpful. We we encourage you, I encourage you to uh, man, do, use this as a as a as a source if you don't already have a plan for how you can spend some time being still and and knowing that God is God and allowing Him to sharpen you so that you're coming in here already kind of kind of uh, teed up with where, where we're going. It's, just, it's meant to be really helpful for you, and I hope it is helpful. Today, ironically, we're in one-at-a-time session, two, a tax collector, which is ironic because saying that word reminds me I've got about 10 things I'm supposed to get to my wife uh, for taxes. So, hey, it's a great day to think about taxes. Um, just me? Okay. Looks like none of y'all file taxes. Awesome. Way to lead the charge. Hey, uh, one thing, one of our values is to take developing a next step of faith for every man. And we have a guy, I think, that's here this morning. Jeff, walked you in the house? Yes. This dude called me last Thursday and said, hey, man, it's time. i want to get baptized. So last Friday at 5 o'clock. He showed up, and and yeah, that is worth celebrating. You know, one of the coolest parts for me was to see his wife and his daughters having a front row seat to seeing his, their, her husband and their dad um, put his pride aside and say, man, I love Jesus more than my pride, and take that step, and that is spiritual leadership. That's leading your family and your marriage, Jeff. Way to go, man. Um the guy, uh, when we baptized him, um, we, we typically just go down and we tell people, if baptism is new to you, you know, it's a great symbol of the Christian. Christian. It's like the wedding ring of Christianity. And and here at Southeast, we, we take somebody down, and, and taking them down represents that they're dying to self. They're dying uh, with Jesus, how Jesus died on the cross. And when you're under the water, it's symbolizing you're being washed clean, passed present and future sins and then when you're brought up it's representing your new creation and me and a guy Nathan who were in the baptist or ended up staying in the baptistry with Jeff we're backstage and you know just walking through here's how we'll hold you that sort of and and I said you know typically what I'll do is once we go down I usually wait for the bubbles to stop and then do like a slow 10 count and I saw Jeff be like dude I'm out um so we only did a I think we stopped at eight count so Good job, man. No, but that's awesome. If that's something you're like, you know what? I've been thinking about that. Man, talk to your table leader. Um, this is this is not about rules. It's about pursuing Jesus. And if that's your next step of faith, man, we encourage you. Uh, man, don't, don't put that off. That's, that's an exciting time to celebrate. One thing, uh, one of our vision or not one of our visions, our vision around here, uh, Man Challenge is simply a tool that we leverage uh, to, to help connect people to men to Jesus one another but our vision for men's ministry is to create a disciple making culture in a Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 to 20 Jesus basically his last words that he spoke um he said this he said you know what he said all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me and he said you know essentially you need to listen to whatever I'm about to say and he said and here's what I say about that he says go and make disciples he doesn't say go and get busy doing all kinds of church things he said go and make disciples uh, and teaching them and so our vision is to create a disciple making culture Um, and what that means is it's like it's basically sharing your life of what Jesus has done and pointing pointing one man at a time, one person at a time towards Jesus' redemptive power. And it's, you know, Howard Hendricks says you can impress people from a distance, but you can only influence and be influenced from up close. It's, it's not bringing a crowd together. It's, it's literally that, man, grabbing a couple dudes and, and sharing your life and what God's teaching you and pointing towards Scripture and all that sort of thing. And so our, our vision is to create a disciple-making culture. That's how we view every one of you in this room. Whether you're here going, man, I'm just checking this out or not. We view you as a future disciple maker, and so that's that's the lens for everything we do. And if you've been here for for any amount of time, you know Mason Bramer um, was our men's associate. He was on our team for five years, and back in October, um, he took his next step of faith, moved up to Ottawa, Canada, to keep that keep making disciples. Um, and make disciples so we've we've been down a teammate a significant teammate for the past four plus months and i am super excited uh to give a, a reveal today this past monday a new guy started on our team and before i share who it is i want to tell you uh, man i'm so excited for this guy to join our team because psalm 78 72 says and david shepherded them with integrity of heart and it says with skillful hands he led them um and The guy I'm going to introduce to you briefly, he is a a guy who has integrity of heart. And he has, I've watched him uh, from a distance and up close. He has skillful hands, skillful disciple-making hands. He's a very capable communicator, but his heart beats fastest to get guys close and to disciple them. And so it's like, why why would we not bring a guy on on board uh, who is already a proven disciple-maker to help us? Pursue this creating a disciple-making culture, and so this guy has joined our has joined our team this past Monday. He's also heading uh, leading the charge with U of L FCA, and um, it's like, well, man, so he's leaving FCA. No, we are building a bridge between men's ministry and U of L FCA, and we're going to let unleash him to focus on the specifics of helping us create a disciple-making culture. That's what he's doing down at U of L campus, and so with no further ado, I want to introduce to you our new men's associate, Chris Morgan. Yeah man, something uh, you need to know about Chris that's really important. Three Thanksgiving days ago we were working out at Norton Sports Performance and they called it Happy Legs Giving. We had done about 1,000 leg exercises, and we're all packing our bags, getting ready to go home and eat turkey. And Eric Hammer goes, no, 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 nobody's going anywhere. Everybody circle up. And so there's about 45, 50 of us circle up. And he said, all right, I mean, everybody's done. We are toast. And he goes, all right, I got a $50 Amazon gift card. We're going to have a plank a plank off, plank competition, and last, last plank standing or last plank planking, um, wins this $50 gift card, and I'm scanning the room being like, man, I just don't be last, because you got all these fit people, and Morgan's sit, standing next to me, and this other lady's standing next to him, and I'm like, all right, man, I'm in, I'm in it to win it, but I'm also knowing this dude's arms are going to fall off before he, he unplanks, and so I was doing good. Uh, everybody had dropped except for Chris, this lady, and me. And I just want to tell you, I am proud. 70, wasn't she? she was 70. Um, <laughs> but, hey, that's all right. I am proud to take home bronze in that plank off. But this dude was trying to show off in front of his wife and kids, and he went home with the gold. So congratulations. Congratulations.
1: You know you're old when you brag on a plank contest. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. For t- Hey. Let me pray for this guy. Lord, I praise you for this man. Man, I just I thank you that that talking about disciple making is not a new subject. This guy has lived that out and continues to prioritize it, prioritizing it at home with his wife and his three girls. Lord, I ask your favor over this man that you give him a wise and discerning spirit um, and the bandwidth um, to be faithful with what you're calling him to each day without his without Tammy and his girls feeling like they're competing uh, with, with his time of ministry. And so, Lord, use this man to sharpen us. Um, use this man to keep reminding us of what our ultimate mission is. And so thank you in advance for how you're going to use this guy to ripple the things of you um, that keep the shine on you. And so, uh, Father, thank you for the blessing to call this man uh, my teammate. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to bring out Terrence Terman. Terrence is our guest teacher today, and if you know Terrence at all, man, you know you're in for a treat. Uh, Terrence, you've been married for how long?
1: Uh, About to be 11 years.
0: 11 years, and how many kids? Four. Four years, or four kids. Four kids. And your your oldest boy is how old? Nine. And your youngest? Seven, eight months. Eight months. Eight months. And tell us, you've been on staff how long? Here uh, at Southeast. Four and a half years. Four and a half. And what's your current role,
1: and what is that? What do you do? So uh, my title is associate pastor to the city region. That's a fancy title to mean that, like, I get to work inside the Waterson um, Primarily, we have an office in the Highlands, and so we've been there about two years doing ministry, uh, discipling folks, trying to reach people with Christ, trying to get into the schools down there. Uh, reaching the neighborhood. We have members that live there that kind of felt like, hey, man, we're like the only ones down here, like, you know, in the dungeon, trying to, like, reach people and love people. And we had a chance to say, hey, no, there's actually, like, 500 of y'all. Y'all just need to know each other. So, mm-hmm. like, connecting people. Like, three houses down was another southeast person. Like, you're not the only one down here, you know, braving it, you know. And so t- connecting people, but then also, man, just building God's church, you know, um, just giving a the way that we've uh, – coined it is, hey, we're here to be a pastoral presence in a place that our church doesn't have a location. Mm, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm grateful you're doing that. You shared with me multiple months ago something that I, th- I want this room to hear. We were, we were talking, and you said your uh, one son isn't really into sports, yeah. and he's into writing instead, and Terrence is a big sports guy. And I remember you said, you know, at, when he first, it was obvious he wasn't into sports. It was kind of like a Almost a hit to your manhood as a dad, yep. or so. But then you said you you learned that he was into writing. Tell us what you t- tell me, tell these guys what you told me as far as what you started doing.
1: Well, I was I was telling him, you know, I, my oldest son. I've always tried to like get him into sports, and he's never liked it. And I just had this epiphany that like we make a rule in our house. The one rule that we have in our house is you're going to play one sport a year at least, even if you hate sports, you're going to be on one team, just because of the lessons that come from it. So he ab- abides by that, and. But he got into writing. We uh, went to his like, evaluation with his teacher, and he was like, man, he's, he's very smart, da-da-da, but he's always making books in class. Like, so he, he gets off task because he's not interested in what I'm teaching anymore because he already knows it. And then he just pulls out and makes a book. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, If you know a little bit about me, I enjoy writing here and there. I just uh, released a book not too long ago. Um, but typically, I just write blogs and poems and stuff like that. And so I sat down and talked with him one day, and he was like, yeah, I love poetry. You know i love writing i love writing creative stories and so i say well here's what we're going to do buddy you know i get out in the backyard with your brother we work on this soccer we work on this basketball here's what i'm doing whenever i'm going to the coffee shop to work on my writing, i'm just going to take you with me and you bring your book and i'll get you a hot chocolate you sit on that side and i'm sitting on this side and i'm writing you're writing and we're just going to have a writing club and um, that's been like a cool thing just to encourage him, man He's picked up drawing now, and so, you know, we got sketchbooks together, and so now we're both learning how to shade properly and all this other stuff. And so it was just a lesson for me, man, uh, to just to be the love and kindness that he needs, you know. Um, I remember being his age and having an interest in writing, uh, but it was, like, lame. And so I never, I never, like, tried to cultivate it until I became an adult. And so I'm, like, I'm actually doing the same thing to my son without even noticing it. So... Uh, it was a lesson for me to learn to step in without fear, without disappointment, not trying to live vicariously through my son. Like, man, I didn't make it D1. I want him to make it D1. It's like, dude, chill out. You know?
0: yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's really good. One last question: What is the weirdest thing
1: that you've ever pulled out of your beard? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I don't know if. I, uh, man, I don't know if it's weird as much as it's just a, a part of the the process. But just <laughs> some liquid from a baby.
0: Whether that be
1: spit up, whether that be a blowout, you know. (laughs) You know, sometimes you get down there too low and it's like, oh, oh, you know. So I got to keep it trimmed sometimes. Oh, man. That's why I don't grow a beard. (laughs) I'm nervous what would get in there. Hey, guys, Terrence Terman.
0: Thank you for teaching us this week. Yep.
1: Oh, man. Well, I'm going to tell you guys, man, it's cold out there, like polar bear butt cheek cold. Like, I'm. (laughs) Goodness, I almost didn't make it in this morning. But I'm excited to be here with you all, man. Uh, this is really cool for me. Like I always get, enjoy getting the chance to speak at Man Challenge. Uh, when Ronnie asks me, I'm usually sitting here uh, at the table with my guys, just taking it all in. Just trying to be a student of the word. And so uh, I'm just honored that Ronnie and the team would ask me. So I just want to first of all say thank you to Ronnie, the leadership team, those guys trusting me uh, with this opportunity to speak. And just to dive in God's word uh, with you, I don't take it lightly. Um, that I get to stand before you guys, stand amongst my brothers, and just see how God uh, might want to just encourage us, not only collectively but individually, uh, to to just live out these virtues and values that he's called us to live out. Um, And today we have the awesome opportunity to continue in this series talking about one at a time. Our whole church is kind of going through this series, from the kids to the adults, about what it means to live a a one-at-a-time life. And what we're doing is we're looking at different stories of how Jesus and others uh, went about making kingdom impact. You know, they did this one conversation at a time, one encounter at a time, one healing at a time. And what we're going to learn today is uh, we had one guy that did it, uh, one meal at a time. Um, as we get ready to, you know, dive into this passage, I just want to kind of give you all a clear goal that I have. And here's my clear goal, uh, that each and every one of us would just simply be invited into our next best step with Christ. Right. Like whatever it is, like each and every one of us in this room, Christ, God, the father, the Holy Spirit, they're all trying to call us into a next step. The the, the faith of journey is one that uh, the old folks call is glory to glory, meaning that you're always being made into who you're meant to be. And so there's a next best step for everybody in this room. And I just want to help cultivate a heart that would say yes to that. And so that no man would leave here empty-handed, but instead we would all leave here open-handedly, right? Open-handedly, ready just to say yes to whatever God's calling us to. With that said, Father God, I just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that not by my might, Lord, but by your strength, that your word would be proclaimed today. So Lord, I pray that uh, I would decrease Lord, and that you would increase, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do only what you can do. Illuminate your word so that it might make sense to every ear and every heart and every soul and every mind. And when it's all said and done, Lord, may you forever receive the glory. Just pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These three words are some of the most significant words spoken by Jesus in his earthly ministry. In one sentence, Jesus revealed to all who listened his heart for the lost, the purpose of his ministry, and gave context for his actions and even later his sacrificial death. In these words, we find the only qualification that makes us attractive to Jesus it's our brokenness. This was the case for one obscure tax collector by the name of Levi. We know Levi as Matthew, and on this day, just like any other day, in cultural betrayal, this very Jewish man was out on his job collecting tax for Rome. To do this job was to betray his very existence as a Jew. In a sense, this man had joined the enemy. To the poor and needy, he had become the oppressor, collecting taxes they didn't have to give. To the religious elite, he was a reprehensible social outcast that was virtually unclean. If I had to sum it up, on this day sat a man in a booth that needed a way of escape. In that booth sat a man who needed a guilt-free, tangible hope. And on this day, not only did that hope become tangible, But it became his reality. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in God's word. I'm going to be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. And then we're going to hop over to the book of Luke. And we're going to read uh, from chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And these are the same story, but the authors gave us some different details that I want us to get all of it this morning. So first, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 2. Verses 13 through 17 says this. Then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him and he taught them. Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples, because there were many who were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor but the sick need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And let's jump over to the book of Luke, chapter 5. I'll give you a minute to get there as I get there. We're going to be in verses 27 through 32. And just for context for guys that are uh not so familiar with the Bible. So we have these different books called the Gospels, right? And so we just read from the book of Mark, who, who wrote an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Now we're going to read the, a similar account that Luke wrote. And one of the things that may be confusing is when you read these, they're telling the same story, but there are some details that are different. And I just want you to say, hey, y'all are going to tell the story of this man challenge different, Right. Y'all are all going to pick up something that the other person didn't. And that's not, uh, that didn't escape the, uh, the writers of the Bible. So I uh, just wanted to clarify that as you read and you may hear something that might be just a little different. So starting in verse 27, it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax, uh, excuse me, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind... He got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with him. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Bless the reading of God's word. <clears throat> so we read on this day, just like any other day, Jesus was going about his father's business, building the kingdom of God through his ministry. And just like any other time when Jesus preached, the crowd was coming to him. Yet as the crowd came to Jesus, we see there was at least one who didn't. I want to propose that far enough from the crowd, yet, yet close enough to hear and see, sat Levi. Remember, this was a man likely desperate for hope and acceptance. Someone ripe with guilt and shame. I imagine day after day, sitting in, that, in this tax booth, he had heard the rumblings of this great teacher who was preaching a message of hope. And one who was willing to touch and one who was willing to heal those unseen and overlooked. And on this day passing by in only the way that Jesus could, he looked at this man, saw his need, and invited him into relationship. John 3:17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Two simple words made this a reality for Levi. Two simple words emancipated Levi to walk On the narrow path, two simple words transformed a life of separation into a life of dedication. Two simple words. Follow me. Jesus, from the authority of his godness and and his love and compassion, said unto Levi, Listen, son, get up, leave this mess, repent, believe, and walk with me. Now, don't read the text wrong. Jesus in this moment didn't give some flippant invite to join the caravan of fan, foes, and frenemies. Instead, it was a, uh, as if the words of Jesus captivated Levi's heart. It's as if it, Levi sat there in that chair or whatever he was sitting on, and it just snatched him out of that booth, and uncontrollably, he had to come out and walk with Jesus. And as we already read in the book of Luke, of this account, we learned that Levi left everything behind and followed Jesus. Here's what I believe, man. If such a story can be true for Levi, then these very same things can be true for any man in this room. There is no one here too far off or or too beat down for Jesus. In the same way that he called Levi into relationship, he's calling all of us into relationship. In the same way Levi accepted that call, you can accept that call. And, and it all comes down to a simple thing is that when Jesus calls, are you willing to leave your tax booth? Here's a homework assignment. I'm gonna give y'all a few homework assignments today. What do you need to leave behind? Just write that down. What what do you need to leave behind? Take some time and ask, what do you need to leave behind? That's for non-believers and believers. What do you need to leave behind? Now, when we continue in our text, we we see Levi do something that many seasoned believers, yet also new believers struggle with. He steps into purpose. Right In verse 15 of our text, the scene changes from the words of follow me to Levi following through. We find Jesus along with his disciples seated around Levi's table, eating with what the Bible records as many tax collectors and sinners. Our account in the book of Luke goes into more details and tells us that this wasn't just a random dinner, but an intentional decision by Levi to throw a grand banquet to honor Jesus, and most likely the life change that Jesus had brought to, his, brought to his life. At this point, let's be clear, when you read the Bible, at this point, there was no such thing as the Great Commission. But compelled by this moment in his life, this brand new, untrained disciple used the simple art of sharing a meal to go deeper in faith, relationships and community he saw the mission of Jesus and said hey I'm joining in now for context similar to today to share a meal with somebody in your home was to invite them into an intimate up close and personal space and to be someone to accept that invitation was to allow yourself to be freely associated with whomever you're eating with For Jesus, reclining at this table with these religious outcasts and sinners was a tangible expression of his great love for them. In a sense, he was foreshadowing the shame he would embrace and the acceptance he would extend over two years later from a bloody cross. For Levi, reclining at this table meant something totally different. Yes, it echoed his acceptance of his fellow tax collectors, but this table was also about a changed life and a potential for more, a changed life determined to make his circle of influence God's table of impact. And when we keep reading, as we will see in a minute, for the Pharisees and for the teachers, Jesus reclining at this table was another moment in which he confounded their wisdom and brought social chaos to their religious order. It was another time in which his loving grace casted a shadow on their good religion. (laughs) Paramount to these three implications is one major truth. It's the reality that Jesus makes room and finds great comfort in the presence of those who need him most. It's the truth that people with brokenness, people with self-destructive habits people with a need for redemption are precisely the reason that Jesus came. And in fact, it is these people, guilty as charged, that Jesus chooses to build his kingdom with, in, and through. What Levi's immediate response teaches all of us is this. Hey, no matter who we are, and no matter where we find ourselves as followers of Jesus, we always have the simple resource of the story of our acceptance and hospitality to make kingdom impact. If you follow Jesus, if you've been baptized into the faith, you have a story of acceptance that needs to be heard. I don't care if it was when you were seven or when you were 77. That was transformation that's happened in your life, and that's a story that's a perspective on the love of God that needs to be heard, and the safest place to do it is when somebody's stuffing their mouth with something really good. <laughs> There's something about a table that just brings people guards down. There's something about good food that just welcomes people in. And we all have that potential. Here's my homework. Assignment number two. This week, I I just want you to answer this question, just like you're going to answer the first one. Is your changed life inviting others to the table? Simple question. Is your changed life inviting others to the table? Here's another way of saying it Does your life bring others into proximity of Christ? Does your life bring others? Into proximity of Christ. I want to tell a story, and it's not a, a brag on me because uh, the story uh, was kicked off by my disobedience and by the conviction of God to move me out of a place of contentment. So about uh, two years ago, um, I was sitting in my barbershop, and I picked up this book uh, written by Hugh Halter, um, Tangible Kingdom. You know, and I was, I'm, I've i been saying I'm going to read this book for a long time, and it's kind of been sitting on my shelf. And I'm like, middle of the pandemic, finally got back into the barbershop, going to be here for a while. All right, let me just read. And I'm reading this book, and there's a section in the book where he starts talking about, uh, like, your circle of influence and, and the people that are within your reach to be reached with the gospel. And then uh, I think somewhere in there it asks you about, like, who are your disciples? And I remember sitting in that chair as a pastor at a church saying I have no disciples. <laughs> I have no disciples. I'm so busy with with life, I'm so busy with the pandemic, I'm so I'm so busy with school shut down that I don't have time for disciples. And I just remember having this not necessarily a guilt cuz we got to know the difference. This was the Holy Spirit. That was a conviction that fell over me that said, you need to change that. And I just remember looking up and looking at my barber, and I said, guess we'll start here. I said, what's up, bro? Da-da-da-da, we get to talking. He tells me stuff about, yeah, man, I'm about to get married in, in three weeks. I'm like, really? Wow, congratulations, bro. Man, let's get breakfast. Let's talk about that. Okay, we get breakfast. And as we send at this breakfast, it becomes clear to me that, like, eating one-on-one with a man is really normal for me. Before an unchurched dude, like, being invited to a breakfast with another man was, like, weird to him, <laughs> because nobody had ever tried to be in proximity to him in that way. And so as we sat at that table, I was able to hear more of his story, and he was not only getting married, but he was also really thinking critically about, man, how do I lead my family? I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, man, I'm really trying to reconcile with my dad. Like, my dad walked out of my life when I was a kid, but he lives here in town, and Man, my sister hates him, but I really want to rebuild their relationship, and so me choosing to pursue my dad is causing a rift between me and my sister where she's not talking to me anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. And I said, man, you know, man, you're, you're, t- you're saying stuff that sounds a lot like my story. And I was able to share my story, just my upbringing. I was able to share my pursuit of my dad in relationship despite his shortcomings as, as my, in my childhood. I was able to pursue how, like, me and my brother have done that differently and then I was, I was able to tell him, hey, man, but the reason I do it that way and the reason I have perseverance is not because of, I just love my dad so much and this is my strength, but it's because Jesus has loved me Then I need to offer my dad forgiveness. And Then in that conversation, I was able to just present to him the gospel and just say, hey, man, this is what compels me. This is what compelled me to ask you to breakfast. And I said, man, I'm not asking you to make a decision right now, but I, I am asking you, man, would you keep getting breakfast with me? He said, yeah. And so over the next Six months, we got breakfast or we got coffee, and we talked, and we started reading a book just about being dads, and this book had all kind of kingdom implications in it, so we read the book about being dads. Then we read this book about becoming emotionally free as men. This book had all spiritual implications. Then I said, hey, man, I've given you two books, and there's a lot of spiritual implications. Can I tell you, the only way that those spiritual implications make sense if you understand the biggest need that we have, and that's a need for Jesus. And so then I give him a book. Uh, I give him two little books. I give him one book, uh, My Heart, Christ Homes, a little bitty pamphlet. And I give him uh, Kyle's book, Grace from the Cross. I say, man, we're going to read these two books next. And he reads those two, bu- those two books in like a week. And we come back together. And I said, man, so how was your reading? And he said, uh, man, it was good. I, th- I think I just need to accept Christ. And so over at Sunagos, however you say it, you say it a thousand ways right here. Sunagos, 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 I don't know. But over at this coffee shop, I said, okay, let's do that now. And I reached over, touched his hand, and we prayed and accepted Christ. Three weeks later, he was baptized here. And now this is a guy I meet with every Monday. And we just, and we just walk in, and he's disciple. Brought him to church here. He was here. He's like, ah, I don't know if this is going to work for me and my family. Too big. To everything. <laughs> I was like, I feel you. All right. Well, let's keep walking. He goes out, finds his own church, decides to join the church. And he's like committed. He's in some like 24 week class at this church now to learn how to walk with Jesus. And I just got to celebrate him yesterday, I mean, Monday, and say, man, like, you don't understand. Like, man, this is God working your life. And I could tell you that story of Mitch, but I could also tell you the story of Devin. A Bellarmine wrestler that I said yes to being a chaplain to the wrestling team over at Bellarmine. And this dude was the best dude on the team. So I said, I'm going to go after the best dude on the team. Because if I can get him, I can get the whole team. (laughs) (laughs) So I started meeting with him. And the same process happens. And he says, hey, man, sometimes when we talk about stuff, I just don't understand. And I said, you know, have you you never had the gospel explained to you? Nope. On a piece of napkin at the Mexican restaurant. Here I am drawing the bridge diagram. Explaining that to him. Wow, that makes sense. So, how does it make you feel? I want that. Let's pray. We pray he accepts Christ at a Mexican restaurant. Now, this dude is in a small group, walk with Jesus. He's the first person in his family to ever accept Jesus. And it's like all of this happened not by my might, but because when the conviction of God came over me to walk in purpose, I said yes. So I wonder, when I ask that question, is your life inviting others to the table? Is it inviting others to the table? Not through your Facebook post and not through this, this glory that follows you at the workplace. They're like, by the glory of God in me, all the other insurance salesmen are just going to know <laughs> that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> right? Like that's that's how some of us understand this call to walk with Jesus. That we believe we don't have to actually say the name of Jesus to people and somehow people will come to follow him. But Paul says, how will they know if they're not taught? How will they know if no one teaches them? Just like the Ethiopian eunuch who couldn't understand, somebody had to teach him. So who are you inviting to the table? The last scene we get in our story is something that becomes pretty customary for Jesus in his ministry. As he is teaching and choosing to love those who need him most, those who refuse to love have questions. (laughs) Like some today, these Pharisees and scribes understood holiness more from a lens of what we avoid versus what we pursue and what we redeem. I mean, these were men who knew by heart all the warnings of the Psalms and the Proverbs about avoiding corrupt and evil people. So surely, surely these guys were right, except in all their avoiding, they missed the Father's heart. One of the primary reasons for their mistake in theology was their failure to remember. Their failure to Remember. And all of their memory verses about being holy and and checking all the boxes, I imagine they forgot Psalm 14.3 that says, They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. In short, they forgot to remember their brokenness. They forgot to remember their need. They forgot to remember their lack and their deficiencies. They no longer saw their own sin, but could only see the sin of others. Here's what I believe, man. The failures of these men are written down to be our reminders. We, We like to heap ash on the Pharisees' heads, but it's written down to remind us ourselves to never forget. Never forget. Never forget that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Never forget that there is a log in your eye. (laughs) And as you see someone else's speck, take care of that log first. Never forget that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Never forget that it is by grace that you have been saved not from yourselves, but as a free gift of God. Never forget that in response to all of that, the call is to go and make disciples, not much of ourselves. Brothers, never forget your story. Never forget what God has brought you from and to. Never forget how faithful he has been. And and always remember, if he did it for you, he wants to do it for other people too. If we're faithful to do that, we'll likely find ourselves as men making room rather than making reasons. Corework assignment number three. I just want you to take some time this week some of you guys probably hadn't done this in 30 years. I just want you to write out your testimony. I want you to write it out in as much detail as possible. And I mean, not just your coming to faith, because that might be really short. I grew up in a Christian home, always went to church, got baptized when I was in the womb, and never departed from the church. Right? And that's a beautiful story. I'm praying that for my kids. Like, right now, they're still in the faith. We'll see when they hit teenage years, so. But I want you to write in as much detail as possible. And not just your coming to faith story, but also the major growing that's happened in your faith. Because when you came to faith, you still had some strongholds. You still had some things that held you down. You still might have had a porn addiction. You still had a problem with drinking. You still was a womanizer. You, 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 you still were, was, uh, wasn't, wasn't up, up to date on your taxes. That's why none of y'all, you know, rooted with, with running. Some of y'all, you know, got that Trump syndrome with the taxes. All right? <laughs> but seriously, write out in all the detail you can. Because I want you to see that glory to glory that I talked about earlier. How God didn't just get you to the foot of the cross, but he crucified you there. <laughs> but then he brought you from the grave. And he sent you out in the same way that he showed himself at the resurrection, and people marveled, he sent you out to do the same thing. And the way that he walked through a door and showed somebody his hands to prove that he is who he says he is, he sent you out to walk through any door and any wall that people put up and to put out your hands and prove that Jesus is who he says he is. But do you know your story? Have you seen the glory of God in your life? Have you forgotten the glory of God? That may be the difference between you bringing someone to Christ. That, that, that could be the difference in your continence right now, in your perspective. Because some of y'all are beat down. Some of y'all, some of y'all are beat down thinking, man, that you, that you don't know if you even still have faith because you're just in a season of sin and, and you just can't figure it out. And sometimes looking back and say, well, I ain't what I used to be. And, and, and my desire to actually know the Lord is evidence that I actually know the Lord. So know your story. In closing, our, in our time of reflection this morning, I just want to leave us with three observations and encouragements. Hopefully, uh, these are uh, just as helpful to me as I was reading as they were to you. And just kind of tie a nice bow on our study time this morning. So the first thing is this is that in the midst of the crowd, we saw Jesus was still able to see the one. Like in the midst of the crowd, he still saw the one. And I say that to you, because I don't ever want you to think that you're invisible to God. Don't ever think you're invisible to God. There's a name in the Bible, El Roy, for God, and it says He's the God who sees. He's the God who sees. That, that's not just an Old Testament characteristic of God. That's a forever characteristic of God. He sees you. Don't ever think you're invisible. Number two, in the midst of the noise, Levi still accepted the call. I want to say, man, no matter where you are in your journey, don't let the noise drown out the good news. Don't let the noise drown out the good news. Listen, if Christ has redeemed you. He's redeemed you, and he's going to complete what he started. So where you sit today may be hard, but don't let the noise take the good news from you. Some of you in here need to say yes to Jesus, and the noise of culture is keeping you from saying yes, because you have questions, and and you don't want to offend your best friend. The noise, the misconceptions of what it means to love Jesus Hey, don't let the noise take from you the good news. The third thing is this. In the midst of the scoffers, those who suck their teeth, this can be the super religious culture or the super antichrist culture that we both get to experience. In the midst of the scoffers, we and Jesus both loved well. They loved well. In this, man, we're reminded that there is no love without sacrifice. There's no love without sacrifice. God was teaching this from the very first, cha- fir- very first chapter of the Bible to the end of the Bible. When Adam and Eve fell, they fell because they forgot that love requires sacrifice. And so we look at their curses and, you know, pain and childbirth and, and man, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And really, God was giving them the remedy. Say, so I'm going to teach you for the rest of your life that love requires sacrifice. So every time you push out a baby and you feel that pain and that pressure, I want you to know that that's what love costs. Every time you clock in and you're like, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but I got to feed my family, I want you to know. Love calls sacrifice. And so then when you go out as my disciple <laughs> and people reject you, people don't want to hang with you no more. You stop getting invited to the bar. No more B-dubs invite. They, they kick you out of the fantasy league. <laughs> hey, love comes with sacrifice. And the second thing that we learned is that there is no life in Christ without opposition. So don't be deceived. There's no life in Christ without opposition. He said, if they did it to me, they'll do it to you. But his promise is, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for your word that just illuminates so clear uh, who you are. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and active. Lord, we thank you that your word Uh, changes lives. Lord, we thank you that your word can mend broken hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word can build new families. We thank you that your word can bring new life. We thank you that your word can bring resurrection. We thank you that your word can bring hope. Lord, we thank you that your love never runs out. It never gives up. We thank you that your beauty is captivating and and it's overwhelming. We thank you that you are a God that can't be comprehended. That you're a God that can't be consumed by our theology and our way of thinking. But you're a God that has your own way. And so I pray, God, for each and every man in this room, that you would have your own way. Give us the faithful spirit of Levi. And give us lives that invite people into proximity with you. Just pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.